Miss the show, no worries on point and on the podcast. The Toronto District School Board will not allow students to attend a book club event because the featured author, lawyer Marie Heenan, defended Gian Gameshi, and it would send a bad message to little girls. But they're also not allowing the students to attend a reading by a Nobel Prize winning an activist who survived being kidnapped by ISIS and now helps Muslim women rebuild their lives. Apparently that would foster Islamophobia. Critical thinking is being cancelled at our schools by those in charge who should be the ones who are cancelled. We'll talk about that. What was actually accomplished by COP26? We'll talk to a doctor who went to the conference to fight for nuclear power to be used as an option and who confronted the new environment minister to see if his activism is still blinding him to this very much available and affordable and reliable option. And what happened in a Kitchener restaurant that led to a standoff between the owners and a man who has Asperger's who came in with his service dog? Why are the police now investigating? Let's get talking. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. This is illogical to me. I don't understand your reasoning or the equity department's reasoning. I don't understand it. Right? I said... This is democracy. Like, in, like I kept on afterwards. I'm like thinking to myself, this is democracy. This is what we do, right? Um, Marie Heenan can talk for herself. These young women are exceptionally bright, exceptionally bright. Mm-hmm. They will put questions at Marie. Marie can handle it. These girls can handle it. They are discerning students. How do you create critical thinkers if you censor books and censor speakers? I don't understand that. Me neither. But I don't understand anything about Toronto School Board anymore because it's far too ideolo- ideological. Hi there, Alex Pearson with you on this Friday, November 12th, heading into a much, much needed weekend that seemed to kind of take a long time to get to. So here we are. And what did I wake up to? But this headline that just about made my head explode. Toronto School Board rejects Marie Heenan's book club event. And I, my first thought is like, what idiot turns down the chance to hear from Marie Heenan? And of course, it turns out unsurprisingly that it's uh, those running the province's biggest school board who do not see the value in having students get access to one of the smartest, toughest, and the best lawyer in the country. And so Heenan, as you've been hearing about, was invited to speak by a nonprofit group called A Room of Your Own Book Club. So this is a club that invites teenage girls, many of those who are from low-income families. They read books, then they discuss them in a virtual space with the author. And generally, school principals and teachers will promote the club events to the students. So what's the problem? Well, once the board found out, who the club's two invited guests were, they said, oh, no, 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 we can't let that happen. So they're not going to tell their students to take part. And so you wonder, well, gee, what did Marie Hannon do? Well, she had the nerve as a defense lawyer to defend Gian Gameshi. And the board's equity department told the book club, quote, what message does that send to little girls? I mean, are they, are they out of their bloody minds? I, I mean, I have covered many of Ms. Heenan's trials, so I can actually speak with confidence when I say that the message she would send to these little girls is that women can be tough, smart, successful, and they can win very difficult, high-profile cases, even if the public doesn't like the outcome. And 
Here's a newsflash to the TDSB. A lawyer's job is to present evidence to defend an accused. It is a basic right in this country. And like it or not, there wasn't enough evidence to find Gian Gameshi guilty of the crime he was accused of. Heenan did the job she was hired to do. And despite the court of public opinion deciding the case, she very artfully cut through the noise and presented plenty of doubt. And had this equity board been open-minded, I'm sure Ms. Hinnon could have explained the case, issues, controversies, whatever surrounding it. And she could have answered any other question or debatable any of these young female students might bring to the table. I mean, maybe they'd ask, what does this say to little girls? And then Ms. Heenan could have given the clarity to what the TDSB is so clearly blinded by. And I got to just say this. Heenan is just a force to be seen in a courtroom. That this book club got her time, I think, is a great feat. But sadly, the TDSB is just too stupid to see the opportunity presented to these kids. And I guess instead thinks it's better to deny them access to someone who likely would have had these little girls leaving the event with the dream of maybe being just like Marie Heenan. But it doesn't stop there. Oh, no, there's plenty more stupidity. The TDSB also told this book club that they wouldn't support students attending a reading by Nobel Prize winner and activist Nadia Murad. Who's she? Oh, yeah. Murad's an Iraqi Yazidi who was kidnapped and held captive by ISIS for three months. She's a human rights activist now. She dedicates her life to helping women and children victimized by mass atrocities and human trafficking rebuild their lives. Why ever would we not want girls to hear about her? Well, according to the infinite wisdom of the decision makers at the TDSB, her book, The Last Girl, my story of captivity and my fight against the Islamic State, apparently that would foster Islamophobia. Yes, a woman who survived ISIS and now dedicates her life to helping Muslim survivors of terrorists apparently promotes Islamophobia. Apparently, the TDSB actually sees ISIS as a representative of all Muslims. I mean, you literally cannot make this stuff up. This is the kind of stuff we read about in The Onion. But welcome to public education in 2021, when difficult topics apparently are no longer allowed, nor is debate, discussion, or any critical thinking. You know, kind of the things that kids may actually need one day in the real world. I mean, it is a very sad state of affairs in this country when someone like Desmond Cole is paid thousands of dollars for his activism by the TDSB, but the best country, the country's best lawyer, oh, no, 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 she will be censored, Right. And so the TDSB is now spinning, oh, no, no, this is just a misunderstanding. No, there's not. There's no misunderstanding here. The equity department doesn't want diversity when it comes to student opinions. Not on books, not on views, not on speakers, nothing. And Tanya Lee, the executive producer of A Room of Your Own, said the board was very clear about what they didn't want. I was really shocked. Um, I'm disappointed um, that's to say the least. And there was no misunderstanding. I was told straight out no. 
And like I said, these girls are exceptionally bright, these students. Mm -hmm. um, They're exceptionally bright, and they will challenge anybody to tell them that they're not. And telling them that they can't listen to a speaker or read a book, that's very upsetting to them. Should be. Should be upsetting to everybody. It's outrageous. So Heenan's book event is going to go ahead next week. So for kids in the London and Owen soundboard, you guys are in for a treat. As for the Toronto kids, they're going to have to make a choice. Either remain bubble-wrapped or ignore the TDSB's stupidity and take part in what will be truly a fantastic opportunity to learn about two women who will expose to them some very real and sometimes ugly truths, but they will learn from it. The one truth the board's about to learn is that I think it picked a fight with the wrong gal. Marie Hannon's law firm is appalled. They sent out a statement late this afternoon saying in part, quote, the TDSB position demonstrates an alarming and fundamental misunderstanding about the legal system and the role defense lawyers play defending individuals against the state. We should expect more from the largest and most diverse school board in Canada. Yeah, they're right. But they're not just weighing in. They've, they've angered everybody in the legal industry. The Criminal Lawyers Association, the Canadian Bar Association have also issued statements condemning the TDSB, calling their position both irresponsible and ignorant. The good news here, Marie Hannon can't be cancelled. And because of that, I think the TDSB is about to learn the hard way what happens when you silence voices with absolutely no justification or clue what they are talking about. Boy, this story makes me mad because if you're concerned that public education's failing our kids, then I think you should have reason to be concerned. And we've been talking about this during the show, this Globe and Mail report about the TDSB not allowing Toronto students to take part in two book readings by two extraordinary women. And there's this little club. It's a a room of your own book club, which invites teen girls, often those who live in lower incomes. They read books together, then they discuss them with the authors. School boards promote these events to the students. And yet when this club announced... Famed lawyer Marie Heenan would be a speaker. They said no because, oh, what do you know? She represented Giangameshi. That would send a bad message to little girls. But they also said no to promoting ISIS survivor Nadia Murad, a Nobel Prize winning and activist who now spends her life trying to save other Muslim women. That somehow promotes Islamophobia? Honestly, I thought this was an article out of The Onion. Sadly, it is not. Tanya Lee is the artistic social entrepreneur and executive producer of A Room of Your Own, a book club for at-risk teen girls. Thanks for joining us, Tanya. Thank you for having me, Alex. If you had told me that, you know, in 2021, uh, we'd be canceling women like Marie Heenan and and this woman who was held captive by ISIS, um, you know, and denying students the, the moment of being with these women... I'd have laughed, and yet here we are. How did this happen? Well, um, I was totally taken back um, when I received the phone call late one evening. Um, It was around 6 o'clock, I think, I received the phone call. And I was told, um, after we had agreed about these book clubs, like weeks prior, um, the Nadia Murad book club was agreed upon months prior um, Mm -hmm. that we would do these book clubs. And I was told 
that um, now they are a no-go and it would be a cancel cancellation for TDSB students. And I just want to say that the girls that would have participated in this book club are high school students because the girls mm-hmm. participating in the book club are usually 13 to 18 years, 18 years old. And I said that for the maturity level, this has to be high school students. And when they told me straight out, no, they're canceling it, I was really upset and I was shocked. And I kept on saying during the phone call that this is illogical. I don't understand your reasoning. And what I did after that was I sent an email stating that the Islamic state means ISIS. It will not cause Islamophobia because they said they didn't like the title of the Nadia Murad book. And And I looked at it again and I said, wait a second, that's not going to cause Islamophobia. That's the Islamic State means ISIS. <laughs> yeah, yeah. most Muslims don't take pride in ISIS. I mean, that, that's like a, a non-starter. Um, they are victims of ISIS. And, and so uh, hats off to you, because I've covered a lot of Ms. Heenan's uh, court cases, so I know what she's like to watch. I mean, she's fantastic. Anybody who gets the opportunity to see her fight a case should take a look. But even I couldn't book her for my show with her book. So the fact that you got her and I didn't, I mean, hats off to you. But what an opportunity for these young students, the way I look at it, they'd get to go in and, and talk to, to Marie Heenan and maybe ask her about the, the Gomeshi trial. Why was it so contentious? You know, what did you see? Because she'd be able to explain how we don't try, you know, court cases in the court of public opinion. You have to have evidence. These are things that we should be teaching kids about, not just, oh, she represented Gian Gomeshi. She must be a terrible person. I mean, that, that, it's crazy to me. I, th- that's why I kept on saying this is illogical to me. I don't understand your reasoning or the equity department's reasoning. I don't understand it, right? I said, this is democracy. Like, in, like I kept on afterwards, I'm like thinking to myself, this is democracy. This is what we do, right? Um, Marie Heenan can talk for herself. These young women are exceptionally bright, exceptionally bright. Mm. They will put questions at Marie. Marie can handle it. These girls can handle it. They are discerning students. How do you create critical thinkers if you censor books and censor speakers? I don't understand that. Yeah, I mean, and they're trying to kind of spin it saying, oh, this is all just a misunderstanding. Um, You know, uh, well, I I don't think it is. I mean, clearly they've got this equity board in the Board of Education that is supposed to be managing things that they say have to be culturally, you know, relevant and responsive. And and they've got all these issues that they have to mandate diversity. Well, what's not diverse about this? I would love to hear about Nadia Murad. I think she could impart a, a wealth of information about the struggle of women, the oppression. I mean, there's no end in sight of what she could teach us. Um you know, about Muslim women and what they have endured. Uh, So there's so many lessons to be taught here. And yet it is very clear, I think, that there is no diversity um, or critical thinking uh, that this board wants in their high schools. Um, Like I said, I was really shocked. Um, I'm disappointed. Um, That's to say the least. And there was no misunderstanding. I was told straight out no. And like I said, these girls are exceptionally bright, these students. Mm-hmm. Um, they're exceptionally bright, and they will challenge anybody to tell them that they're not. And telling them that they can't listen to a speaker or read a book, that, that's very upsetting to them, a lot of them, and I, their parents as yeah, well. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, and so what has the reaction been? Well, um, the parents 
have been very, very vocal to me. And they said, you know, I don't believe in this. I don't want this. And some of the parents are actually just saying, overriding the TDSB and saying, no, my kid's going to participate. And so the kids, I know that the boards in Owen Sound, um, and there's another school board uh, taking part in it, um, they will still be able to take part. And so yes. will the Toronto students, if they want, be able to take part? Um, I, listen, I can, I'm going to po- I joined a book club's app and website. I will put the link up. Um, I will put the disclaimer that TDSB does not want their students taking part in this. It's up to you. You need your parents' permission if you want to take part in it. Um, and then I will open up the Zoom link. So if they want to come after me for saying something like that, let them come after me. But um, a lot of parents are very upset at this. Yeah, I mean, you're a little nonprofit now up against kind of, it's like a David Goliath uh, fight, but I think what you've done and what this issue has done has kind of poked the bear of, you know, what are we allowing and what are we exposing our kids to? Are we exposing them to different opinions, different topics? Are we teaching them how to question or debate? And I think that is something that, if there's one thing I hear a lot about from parents is this concern that we're not teaching our kids to have different viewpoints. They all have to be terrified of climate change. They all have to hate oil. They all have to think one way on all these issues. That is not what we're supposed to do when we prepare them for real world living. I agree with you 100%. And that's what some of the parents have been telling me. Like I have parents, um, I have an East York chapter at the book club. Um, These parents buy the books for their children and who participate in the book club. And then I have the chapter in Toronto who, you know, no fault of their own, cannot afford the books. So I go after sponsorship to get the books provided for these uh, young students. And um, so... Both are not happy. Yeah, and nor should they. But I don't think as as society at large we should be happy because we're hearing about this, Tanya, more and more about getting rid of certain books from certain eras, things that were classic in literature, be it uh, Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale, uh, John Steinem's Of Mice and Men, all these books that we grew up reading and now they're being taken out because we wouldn't want to possibly, you know, have someone think. Uh, you know, it, it, to me, I think it's a very dangerous uh, road that we're going down. And frankly, I, I hope parents will push back. Otherwise, it's the kind of thing that can get infected into other school boards. So, look, you're a little nonprofit. It's called A Room of Your Own. Book Where club. can people yeah. find out more information? A book club, sorry. Um, a Room of Your Own, a book club. What's What's the address that they can find out more information? Um, they can just uh, follow me on Twitter. So it's A Room of Your Own at Tanya Marie Lee. That's my Twitter handle. Um, just tweet me and DM me, and I'll tell you a lot more about the book club. And I'll be happy to have a conversation with you. This is what the book club is about. It's about having conversations. It's about having dialogues. It's about expressing your views. It's about talking to authors and learning. Um, That's what it's all about. Yeah. You kind of strike me as someone who can stand uh, and hold your own. So uh, my money is on you on this. But I mean, at least, I mean, maybe this will get people talking. Um, And and for any students or parents listening, I can tell you firsthand, um, your kids should not miss the opportunity to sit and listen and chat with someone like Marie Heenan. She's fantastic. She's a powerhouse. And that is, I think, what little girls will very much uh, take a lot away from. So, Tanya, I really appreciate um, you chatting with us. And let's see where this story goes and maybe if there's a reversal. But I really very much appreciate you uh, joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And have a great evening. That is Tanya Lee. It is A Room of Your Own, 
a book club. It's a little nonprofit, but good for her for standing up for this because uh, we've got to start standing up to this kind of you know nonsense more and more. Otherwise, our kids aren't going to learn anything. They're just going to learn the same thing. They're not going to learn to question anything, and that's not what we want. We want to agree, disagree, come away talking, discussing, and it's okay. I, I'm, I'm supportive of what my government is trying to do, which right. is to, to find the best technologies. But, right. but again, you know, we, we, the government does does provide support, but right. it's really the market that decides but which I'm, technologies yeah. we're going to to perform in in, yeah. in tomorrow's world. And it's not it's not it's not right. me in Ottawa or someone else that's going to say this technology right. will go ahead, that technology won't. But, but again, you've had a strong position in the past, so I'm just asking, has that changed based upon the scientific consensus of the IPCC that all four decarbonization pathways call for an increase in nuclear energy? I think I've answered your question. Okay. Thank you. I don't, I don't think you have, but that's okay. Well, that is Environment Minister Stephen Gubel at COP26 being asked over and over and over again if he's changed his position on nuclear energy and will he consider it as a source of clean energy Canada can use to bring emissions down. And he kept just saying, government doesn't decide what technology is used, which would be a load of hooey. Um, I mean, he may have been a good activist, but it seems that his understanding of how government works or even understanding his own policy initiatives is fairly lame. Um, but nuclear is clean, green and readily available. This is something we have an abundance of and it should be used as an option rather than only considering renewable energies, which are expensive and unreliable. But as we've talked about, Gibol has spent his whole life fighting nuclear energy, so it's no wonder he can't or won't answer the question. And the man who asked that question is Dr. Chris Kiefer, president of Canadians for Nuclear Energy, who is at COP26. Good to have you, doctor. Wonderful to be here again. Thanks for having me, Alex. So it is wrapping up in the next couple of days. You went down there on your own dime, um, you know, to you know, be part of this conversation, try to get nuclear energy um, pushed to the surface. You know, watching that video that you did with him, you asked over and over and over again if he's changed his uh, mind on the issue. He does not want to talk about it. Oh, he definitely doesn't. I mean, this is a minister who has, I think, old ideological positions which are out of date old commitments. Um, at every opportunity um, as an environmental activist, he's taken special effort to show opposition to nuclear energy. And I'm very much concerned that is clouding his judgment as our minister, our new minister for uh, the environment and for climate. There, there, so when you've been there long enough now um, to know what the conversations are, how much of the conversation is nuclear energy? Oh, it's big right now. Um, I think I said on the last show, you know, the world is in a, in a global energy crisis. Europe's particularly hard hit because they've gone on a strategy of building a lot of renewables, a lot of wind, um, and backing that up with a lot of gas. They are getting rid of some coal. Um, and so emissions have gone down, for instance, in the UK slightly. Um, but today, this year has been a bad year for wind. So wind is, wind is dramatically underproducing. It was a very cold winter last year. So they used up a lot of their gas. They didn't fill up their storage. And now they're in real trouble. Um, you know, gas prices have soared a thousand percent in the EU. Um, and as a result, mm. even with a carbon tax that's far higher than ours, around $100, $150 per ton, it's cheaper to burn coal. It has twice the emissions of gas, but it's cheaper than gas. And, you know, the market, <laughs> as Mr. Zobol seems to be very fond of the market, the market decides to burn coal when gas is too expensive. 
Yeah. And, and if he goes by the theory that market uh, decides, then um, we would be using gas for a very, very long time because a lot of people drive gas powered cars and there's still a massive demand around the world for gasoline. And so his, his argument uh, doesn't uh, really jive with you. But, you know, when talking about this at that conference on the international stage, is Canada an outlier on this particular position? Uh, I wouldn't say they're an outlier. I mean, there's countries that have been skeptical of nuclear energy. You have been planning partial phase outs like France, which is 75% yep. nuclear powered, has an ultra low carbon grid, has electrified a lot of their heating and transportation. I mean, they're well on the way to that electrify everything pathway. They started in, in the 70s as a response to an energy crisis, right? Um, right, right, right. Canada has a very, <clears throat> under the Trudeau government, Canada has a very lukewarm position. It's this, when asked about it, you know, they're very, you know, about, specifically about nuclear, they'll go to, oh, no, we're investing in wind, we're investing in solar, and we're going to keep the options open, maybe kind of sort of, we shouldn't rule anything out when, when it comes to nuclear. And that's just totally unacceptable because many people don't know this, um, but there are four principal decarbonization pathways that are in the summary for policymakers. All four of those pathways call for an increase in nuclear energy compared to 2010 levels. And one of those, you know, one of those pathways for a 500% increase. And I think that's the most credible pathway, which allows for some economic growth to continue. Right. But environmentalists, for some reason, do not like nuclear. They don't like it as a conversation. They don't see it as a solution. Or in your mind, from what you've witnessed at this year's conference, are people changing their tune on it? For sure. I mean, at previous conferences, from what I've heard, um, things have been very different. You know, even pro-nuclear advocates that have showed up at these uh, conferences have been assaulted. We had one of our delegation, uh, a young, one of the smallest women in our delegation, was assaulted at the climate march. So there is that kind of rabid anti-nuclearism, but it's it's old-fashioned. You know, I think a lot of the people in the 70s are tired now, and the climate argument has just really shifted the dynamic. So not only are our countries changing course, but a lot of environmentalists are starting to wake up um, and, and pay attention you know, to this scientific consensus. So I think you know, anti-nuclearism is on the decline um, and pro-nuclear environmentalism is, is on the rise here. Yeah, and just uh, so our listeners understand, you're in the process of traveling right now. And so you're trying to get to your next uh, flight. So that if people are wondering what the clanking is, it's uh, an airport. Um, but, yes. you know, doctor, can, can the provinces not go around the feds? I mean, you know, if um, provinces were given the, the option of, of coming up with their own carbon plan, why then can't the provinces just say, you know what, this is what we're going to do? Well, you know, speaking of, of different approaches to carbon tax, Ontario's carbon tax actually only taxes 9% of gas plant emissions, and gas is the only source um, of significant carbon emissions on our grid. So that, that's an interesting question in and of itself. Certainly, several provinces have got together with a memorandum of understanding about exploring small modular reactors. To me, this mm -hmm. is great, and the federal government has been supportive. When Mr. Gilboa said this is for the market, it's not for the federal government. The, 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 federal, the, the Trudeau government has awarded over 70 million dollars through their innovation, their strategic innovation fund to a number of advanced nuclear companies. So first of all, that was absolutely untrue. But secondly, the scale of decarbonization, if we're really going to say you can't drive a uh, gas burning car and you need to have a battery electric vehicle by 2035, they're not, they're not going to sell any new battery electric vehicles, uh, uh, supposedly. There is a very uh, credible study that says we need to 3x, we need to build a grid three times larger than that we currently have in Ontario. 
And that grid needs to mm -hmm. be reliable. Again, if we electrify everything, we need ultra reliable electricity. Because if the grid goes down, there's major consequences to hospitals, waste treatment plants, transportation, heating, everything would depend on that grid. So wind and solar are not appropriate for that. They're intermittent. They don't show up when we most need them during our summer heat waves, when the wind is still um, in the cold of winter, um, when, the, when there's no sun. So nuclear has to be what I call the keystone technology of the climate response. And we know that it works. Um, we've seen it work in Ontario. We should be very proud of that, but also in France, Sweden, and many other countries around the world. It has a demonstrated track record, not of marginal decarbonization, but of deep decarbonization, which is what, um, what we need if we're going to try to stay below 1.5 degrees Celsius. And, and when I saw him speaking earlier at the conference, uh, Mr. Trudeau seemed actually more open to this as a solution than his environment minister. So ultimately, um, you know, will Mr. Gable's activism kick in and he'll he'll reject the discussion or, or, or if they're serious about this, do you get the sense that the prime minister is uh, actually open to this? Well, you know, it was interesting. Uh, Jumbo was actually invited to speak at a labor forum. That's that's the, where I found him and where I engaged in that conversation and with him. And it was about powering the coal phase out and a just transition for workers. And I just thought it was so ironic because he's done everything he can to oppose nuclear energy in Ontario. Nuclear energy provided 90% of the energy we needed to phase out coal, which was 25% of our grid. The, it's called the greatest greenhouse gas reduction in North America. And here's this anti-nuclear guy um, you know, with the chutzpah to be up there talking about a coal phase out. And in terms of the labor element of that, the just transition, we have 76,000 Canadian jobs, um, you know, a 96% made in Canada supply chain, you know, invest in wind and solar all you want, but you have to realize those solar panels are made in China and those wind turbines are made in Denmark and Germany. Intermittent energy, yeah. unfortunately, provides intermittent jobs every 20 years, slapping up solar panels um, and putting up wind turbines. Nuclear energy provides intergenerational jobs for skilled tradespeople and STEM professionals. And I think it's a clear choice which direction we need to go. Well, not to mention what the landfills get filled up with um, and the fact that uh, renewables can be also very destructive to the climate. Um, just before I let you go, uh, uh, Greta Thunberg uh, called this a whole lot of blah, 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 and said this conference has basically turned into kind of a big uh, meeting of the, the elite. Um, your takeaways from it, is there going to be anything that comes out of it that's actually useful? I mean, I don't agree with Greta very often, but I did see a lot of blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I never do. <laughs> A lot of a lot of greenwashing, but I do hope that one day maybe Greta's um, entourage, her her, um, you know, those who accompany her on her trips, will wake her up um, so that she too will come to support nuclear energy. Sweden has, you know, where she's from, has a deeply decarbonized grid. Um, that's due to plentiful hydro, and it's due to nuclear. About thirty percent of Swedish uh, energy on their grid is nuclear. So <laughs> she and they're shutting it down. They're phasing it out and they're replacing yeah. it with <laughs> fossil fuels. So. She needs to really wake up. We've actually invited her. I'm on my, I'm on my way to Berlin right now um, to what's been called the final stand for nuclear. Germany is phasing out the last six of their reactors, which will result in an extra billion tons of CO2 emitted in the atmosphere and an estimated 800, sorry, 1,800 extra deaths per year from coal pollution. Uh, we've invited Greta there to come to our rally and speak in favor of saving Germany's last six reactors, which have 15 to 20 years of, of good life in them. Um, and which at the same time, they're delaying a coal phase out till 2038 while rushing to, to, to phase out their reactors, which produce no air, air pollution and no emissions. Um, they're rushing to do that by early 2022. 
All right. Well, let us know if you run into Greta and um, we'll uh, keep following along as this uh, conversation hopefully starts to take hold. Um, Dr. Kiefer, I appreciate your time. I know you're busy these days, so have a safe journey and we'll talk with you on the other side of it. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me back, Alex. Leave a dog to stay in here. We asked you to leave a hundred times, buddy. I didn't do anything wrong. Jesus Christ. I didn't do anything wrong. We asked him. We asked him to leave a hundred times. You came up. Seen a chaos unfolding at a kitchener restaurant that you're listening to, and now it's led to a police investigation. And uh, what you were listening to is a man with a service dog who was uh, being videoed, forcibly pushed around and then to the ground by uh, two men said to be the managers of the restaurant. And um, according to reports, uh, the man with the dog is said to have high-functioning Asperger's syndrome and anxiety and was spooked when the two men approached him because he didn't know who they were and they didn't address who they were and said, you can stay, the dog's got to go. That's when it got ugly. Uh, Ontario laws are very clear. If you've got a service or a guide dog, you must be allowed in with the owner no matter what. So what happened here? Let's ask. Alex Roy was at the restaurant with his brother and his brother's girlfriend and filmed the video. Good to have you, Alex. Thank you. Nice to be here. I've tried to watch it a few times to figure out, like, what could have possibly led to this and why was there no de-escalation? I mean, how did it get so chaotic? Yeah, see, that's a good question because obviously uh, I hadn't seen the beginning, so I I really thought the same thing myself. Um, You know, like... uh, he put out, uh, the customer put out a a little statement on CTV News Kitchener last night, I believe it was, and, and he pretty much had said that they approached him and, and like you had said, spooked him and uh, didn't really say who they were. And, I mean, I was in the restaurant at the time and there it wasn't a busy night, so I didn't hear the yelling or anything before it got ugly. So I have no idea, like, what happened to lead to that uh, escalation. I mean, I, I don't think it's hard to um, tell that there's an issue that this man has, that he clearly, um, you know, if, if they had kind of stepped back, that he was panicking. Um, and I'm just not understanding, you know, he was spooked. Just they kept going unapologetically kind of going at him. I mean, what was your thought when you guys were watching this? Yeah, uh, of course, uh, that part is very, very frustrating and uh, upsetting and originally that's that's why I decided to step in I was that guy in the white shirt who tried breaking them up because uh that's a thing like I thought you know maybe it was a little little violent or something but then I thought maybe they would have calmed down and when I realized that there was there was nobody calming down I, I thought I was like what's going on here like I I didn't really understand either once they were saying like throughout that it's not about the dog anymore. They just wanted him out. If it was really like that, then, you know, let the guy get up and, and walk out. You know, I I personally don't really uh, understand why they weren't apologetic or, or even just gave him his space for more than like five seconds. Yeah, I mean, there may be a reason. I don't know if this is a customer that is a problem. I don't know if this customer did something. I just know that from what I saw of the reaction, it didn't... Um, it didn't really meet the threshold of, of how you would behave if you wanted to kind of say, hey, look, the dogs, you know, whatever. They should have just let cooler heads prevail, but they just kept kind of going at him. What happened after? Did he just leave? 
Um, so after once the police had arrived, which was immediately after that video was done being filmed. So at the end of that video yeah. is when the police had arrived. So everybody walked outside and then at which point the police took over and they, you know, tried to make sense of the situation. They asked everybody what was going on. So then at that point, they spoke to the two managers or owners and then they went back inside and to continue business as usual. And then the man with the service dog, he was actually sitting on the uh, the side of the restaurant, just sitting on the ground while uh, one of the police officers were trying to calm him down, you know, just, mm-hmm. just talk to him. Cause you could like, I was like a good 30, 40 feet from him and you could still clearly hear him crying and, and just rather upset. So yeah, he was there for for the duration of when the the police had arrived, like outside to the entire time until the police had left. So he was he was just present, you know, trying to probably trying to <laughs> calm down a little bit from what had just happened inside. This has really uh, gotten a lot of blowback. I mean, there's a protest, as I understand, in, in outside of the restaurant now. But this has really angered people. Yeah, I mean, like I understand. I do because it's obviously angered me, but uh, uh, they, the managers, owners, they they decided to handle it the way they did. I mean, like you know, at the end of the day, uh, sure, maybe if he wasn't complying or whatever the story may be leading up, they could have just phoned the police themselves, and you know, the police guy just came and and assessed the situation. Uh, so I don't blame the people for being upset and angered by this because. Regardless of who the customer is, if he has a service dog or not, if, if he's just a normal customer, I mean, you don't you don't just start grabbing and throwing a customer around, no matter who it is. In my opinion, stay tuned. No question about it. I don't think we've heard the last of this. Alex, appreciate you uh, giving us some context to it. Very much appreciate your time. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. That is Alex Roy, who uh, shot the video of this, which you can see, um, and you can make your own judgment, but to me, it's it's a clear case that there should have been de-escalation. It was very obvious that this man had some issues and was panicking, and I don't need it. To, it just didn't need to get to that level. Thank you for listening. Of course, you can join us live Monday through Friday, 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. This is On Point here on Global News Radio.